It's the Producer Nick Podcast, brought to you by Avatar Desk. It's digital marketing made easy. Go to avatardesk.com to learn more. Here's your host, Nick Sharara. All right, welcome back to another edition of the Producer Nick Podcast. Nick Sharara with you and a, and a buddy of mine that I've caught up with a number at a number of MMA events, uh, UFC events in particular, Spencer Kite. You can follow him on Twitter, at Spencer Kite. That's at Spencer, K-Y-T-E. You can find his work on The Province. You can also find his work on UFC.com. We welcome him in. Spencer, what up, dude? What's going on, man? Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Love having you on, man. What's uh, what's new in Canada, man? Anything uh, any, anything new on your part of the world? I mean, we've, we've got... So I live in British Columbia, so we've got BC boy Rory McDonald just went out and did the damn thing on tape delay in, in England. Yep. And... Uh, and a, a guy actually from the city I live in right now, Abbotsford, he coaches the wrestling team at the university out here. His name is Arjen Bueller, uh, just signed with the UFC last week. So he was down at the Fighter Summit. I'm going to catch up with him this week. So BC is doing what it usually does and representing for Canada on, on the big MMA stage. Speaking of being on tape delay and Bellator 179 <laughs> was you know, held in London, I mean, what... What do you say, uh, what does that say about the organization? Because, you know, they've, they've kind of expanded into to a number of things, kickboxing, and obviously going to London is a bit more costly than perhaps promoting a fight here with, you know, in, in their neck of the woods in the United States. Uh, you know, what does that mean for this, for this particular organization? It's always kind of been trailing the UFC for them to put on a fight out in London. I mean, putting on the fights in London is good, and, and they've done some international stuff, as you said, with some of their kickboxing, going to Italy and going to Hungary. Um, they've done a show in, in Ireland already. This was their second show in London. So getting outside of North America and going international is always a great way to expand your brand. The part that just sticks for me, and, and I mean, if you were on social media on Friday at all, and are an MMA fan, you saw it. How, how in 2017 can you run tape delay? Like, it just, it doesn't make sense when we've got friends and colleagues that are live at the SSE in, in London covering the show, tweeting about it, Instagramming about it, everything's going up, and then we're expected to sit and wait until it airs on Spike TV as if that's the real event. Like, the part that's even worse is that Bellator then waits until the broadcast to start tweeting stuff out. And it's like, guys, we already know what happened. Like, yeah, yeah it's like... How much of a delay are we talking here? Several hours. So, like, it's an eight-hour difference from where I am to London. And so, at, like, one in the afternoon, I was getting the results that, that Rory had choked out Paul Daly, and then there was a skirmish between, as always, an overblown skirmish. Paul Daly attacked Michael Page. He, like, walked close to him. That's what it turned out to be. Um, and so, I mean, when you're waiting eight, nine, six, seven hours to get something on TV, it just, it doesn't work. Like, it's, it, you lose people. And I understand that you have a TV deal and you have stuff that you have to, you know, make good on with, with Spike in terms of airing the shows. But either, and, and I don't say this to, like, not give the, the people in London and that traveled to that show a good show. But really, Rory McDonald's debut in your organization is going to be on tape delay. 
you're going to spoil half of your audience by having that fight on tape today, a guy that everybody wants to see, wants to see what he looks like in his first fight in the Bellator cage, and that's the one that's on tape delay? Come on, man. It's, um, it's 2017. This isn't the, like, 84 NBA Finals. How much do you think this has to do with them being more confident in producing a, you know, a re- pre-recorded production? The production that's pre-recorded and packaged may be a better product than their live production. How much, I mean, is it, does it have anything to do with that? Live production versus pre-recorded? Perhaps they felt like it would be a better show if it was pre-recorded? I think that might have a little bit to do with it, the ability to just go through and sort of clean up little pieces and, and get the stuff in where they want to get it in. I think more than anything, it's just that, you know, Friday nights on Spike TV, for the most part, are earmarked a couple times a month for Bellator events. And so Spike doesn't want to just deviate from whatever their broadcast schedule is and throw a Bellator card in the middle of the afternoon for North American audiences. Um, And so let's just keep them primed. Let's keep them used to the same thing that they're used to. The weird part about that is that they also do these, you know, occasional Saturday night events like they're going to do in in New York next month. And so if you're going to alternate every so often, you got to, I mean, to me, tape delay in, in 2017 is just crazy because of the way we watch sports on social media and the way we, you know, interact with sports now. It's one of the few things that you can get us to actually be invested in and sit down and watch in terms of consumer consumption and then to want to roll it out at, you know, seven o'clock or eight o'clock here on the West Coast on Spike when it's been done for almost twelve hours is just crazy. We're speaking to Spencer Kite here of the province and UFC dot com. Follow him on Twitter at Spencer Kite. Uh you're listening to the producer Nick podcast. Let's move on from Bellator, talk a little UFC. Uh UFC Fight Night one fourteen. News comes out that Sergio Pettis and Brandon Moreno will uh headline that card. So I guess this is kind of a blessing in disguise because I guess Sergio Pettis was set to fight Henry Cejudo. Uh, he suffered a hand injury, and now he gets to headline a, a UFC fight night card. Is this kind of a good thing for Pettis? Or no, he really wanted to face Henry. This, that would have been a better fight for his career. I think this is a good fight for, for both guys, and I think it's a better fight for the UFC um, the Cejudo fight would have been fine. It was a fight that, like everybody, I was looking forward to on that crazy card down in, down in Dallas a couple weeks back. Um, but to me, those fights where you have a young guy on the rise like Sergio Pettis that's put together a couple of good wins, beat John Moraga last time out, going up against Henry Cejudo, who absolutely is one of the top three guys in the featherweight division, or in the flyweight division, sorry. But he's coming off back-to-back losses. And yes, they're to DJ and to Joseph Benavidez, who is now sidelined, get better soon, Joe B. Um, it doesn't do much because if, if Cejudo goes out and beats him, then what do you do? You're not going to run back the DJ fight right away after one win over Sergio Pettis, and then you burn Sergio Pettis. And I know everybody says, yeah, but if Pettis beats him, absolutely, that is the upside, that is the positive side of things, but I'm... When it comes to matchmaking, I'm a, like, worst-case scenario 
kind of plan for the worst possible outcome and make sure that that's still a good outcome kind of guy. And so a fight like this where you've got two young fighters, neither of them who have challenged for the title yet, neither of them who have really fought that elite class of guy yet, going forward together, you put them in a prime spot in the main event of, a, of an FS1 show that has been doing, you know, those events do relatively well comparatively for everything that's on FS1 and, and just in general. To me, it makes all the sense in the world to do it in Mexico City. Brandon Moreno is a kid that I think it has, has star potential, and Sergio Pettis does as well. So to me, this is a win all around. How is this market for the UFC now? Uh, is it still a really hot market? I mean, you, you got Cain Velasquez who, yeah, he's a name. He's still pretty popular, but he's not the champion, and I think that kind of helps. You had quite a few Mexican fighters on the roster that could help you build a fight card. But how hot of a market is this for the UFC? Is this still like a red-hot market for the UFC right now? I don't know that it's red-hot. I think it's still... I think it's still a market that they can do well in. One of the things that I've always heard from talking to some of the Latin American reporters and some of the guys from Mexico specifically is that the really the the fighters that people have really attached themselves to are the guys coming off of the Ultimate Fighter Latin America and sort of these fighters that have risen organically, like Yair Rodriguez, um, a little bit like Brandon Moreno now as opposed to Kane, who is sort of held out to them as, this is the guy you're supposed to root for, who was already established, where, you know, I didn't necessarily watch The Ultimate Fighter Latin America Season 1 or any of the other ones, and I know lots of people <laughs> that I talked to didn't, but the Latin Amer American market really did, and it did really well. And so those fighters, the Yair's, the Marco Beltran's, the guys that all came off of that show have the following, the way that we really attached with the early seasons of The Ultimate Fighter here in North America that we got behind, the Chris Liebens and the Michael Bispings and whoever came off that show. And so I think the market is still there. I mean, combat sports is still a big thing for that population and for that demographic. And so to get some young, up-and-coming, talented fighters that they can sort of gravitate to organically. Alexa Grasso and Irina Aldana both fall in there as well, though they've struggled in the UFC thus far. I think that is going to be the key. If Yair Rodriguez had beat Frankie, Frankie Edgar, I think that would have been the, okay, we have our guy, let's go back to Mexico City for a pay-per-view with this guy gets a title fight, and it would have been the biggest show that we could have possibly seen in Mexico City at this time. But I think there's still room to grow, and I, I think there's still a good market there, and I'll be really interested to see how many people turn out for this event headlined by Brandon Moreno. There you have it. We're speaking to Spencer Kite here on the Producer Nick Podcast, brought to you by AvatarDesk.com. Put on the promo code NICK99 and get 10% off your order today. Um, we're going to get into the Conor McGregor-Floyd Mayweather thing, man. I don't really want to, you know, considering... You know, being on a, a terrestrial platform, Spencer, you can imagine that 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 kind of talk moves the needle. So we'll get to that. <laughs> I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't mention it. But, Absolutely. Uh, one of the things I do want to get into is uh, UFC 211, particularly the fight stoppage between Dustin Poirier and Eddie Alvarez. I thought it was an interesting turn of events. 
Irv Dean went to Mark Ratner outside the cage and kind of let him know what he was going to do, let him know that he was going to, uh, I guess, label the fight a no contest. Uh, I felt like there were two illegal knees. Some people said the first <laughs> knee was not illegal, and perhaps the second. I've even seen UFC fighters tweet out that that first knee wasn't illegal. What, what, were you, what was your takeaway? What was your thoughts on, on the knees, on the stoppage, and how that fight played out? My takeaway was that at least one of them, the one that dropped Dustin Poirier at the end, was clearly illegal. He had a knee down. He was he was clearly downed. Um, the part that always gets me is is when we get in there and and the referee or the officials have to decide intent and and they take intent into it. Like, oh well, it was an accidental knee. There was no accident about that. Eddie Alvarez threw that knee intentionally. Like. That was the strike he was going to throw. It's, it's like when Tim Means knocked out Alex Cowboy Oliveira with a couple of knees and gets on the mic and is like, no, that's, I, I meant to throw those knees. There's nothing like unintentional about them. So if you're going to DQ me, fine. But that's what I was doing. The rule's stupid. Um, and, and to me, it just becomes that weird gray area where is the knee illegal? Are we going to stop fights because of illegal strikes or are we going to say well that's not a legal move but he didn't mean to do it and he wasn't trying to be malicious and so now we're going to declare it a no contest because I mean I don't really care either way in terms of the result I don't have any skin in this game so if Dustin Poirier gets a DQ win or not isn't a great concern to me outside of the fact that you know the dude wants his win money and, and has a baby that he wants to build up her college fund but I just think going forward, we need to really get clear on this because if, if in addition to trying to figure out whether it's an illegal knee or not, we then have to make the judgment of, sure, it's illegal, but he didn't really mean to do it and the intent wasn't there, so it's an accidental illegal knee, that just doesn't seem, that just seems like a whole lot of chaos that we're just waiting to have screw-up fights. So we need to get some clarity on it. We need to just say, look, it's an illegal knee, regardless of whether you intended to do it, regardless of, of whatever. It's a foul. It's a point. It's a DQ. That's just the way it's got to be, because that's the only way we're going to get guys to stop sort of throwing these strikes and, and saying, you know, I wasn't trying to do it. Well, of course you weren't. Guys aren't ever trying to kick another man square in the groin, save for the odd, you know, instances that we can all point back to. But, like, it's still a foul, and it still alters the course of a fight. And so when it happens twice and nothing happens, it's like, why not? I mean, it's, it's the old line. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. That shouldn't be the case in MMA, but it really is. Well, see, my whole thing with it, Spencer, is it's so difficult to judge intent, to really be able to tell uh, if he really meant to do it, because... I just feel like there's so many athletes out there that can act and kind of make it look like it was an accident. Now, you seem pretty yep. confident that it was pretty intentional, like intentional, like he knew it was illegal and he went for the knee anyway. Or was it like intentional, like he was in the heat of the moment. It was an intentional knee, like he meant to throw it, but not with the realization that it was an illegal knee. Yeah, I, I think it's intentional in in that Dustin is here and I'm going to knee him in the head. I don't think Eddie Alvarez was trying to be 
malicious and say, look, I've got him in this. This wasn't Michael Bisping kneeing Jorge Rivera in the head in Australia right. when he's down on two knees and grabbing him by the back of the head, standing straight in front of him. This was heat of the moment. But to me, we have to eliminate that. We have, like, of course it's the heat of a moment. It's a cage fight. Like, whether, like, I don't think we even need to get into intent is, is sort of where I stand. Yes, it's, it's an illegal, is it illegal? Yes or no? That determines the outcome to me. Not, well, but he wasn't trying to and he didn't mean to do it and they're in the heat of the moment. Well, everything that happens in an MMA fight can be deemed up to being in the heat of exactly. the moment. Exactly. It's a cage fight, and so if we're going to have these rules, we have to enforce them based on the letter of the law as opposed to, well, here's the letter of the law, but I also want to make this subjective judgment about what that fighter was feeling or doing because that just, it, it gets into such gray areas and it gets into so many judgment calls that we already have in this sport with judging and, and things like that. So I just feel like it's a... It, an easy spot to eliminate some of the guessing. And I'm kind of with you right there. I kind of, you know, that was me playing devil's advocate. But if, yep. you, if you really look at the situation, my initial thought was, yes, they were illegal knees. I'm talking, this is happening in real time, not seeing any instant replay. Yes, these were illegal knees. And that it, there was clearly a foul, and he clearly could not continue because of the foul. And that's what it boiled down for me. That's why I was right. just weirded out about the no contest label and I felt like it should have been a DQ and I think a lot of people felt like that but it was just a weird um, set of circumstances uh, we move on you're listening to the producer Nick podcast here um, I did mention the Conor McGregor Floyd Mayweather situation <laughs> Dana White went on TNT Spencer and said I guess he's completed the Conor McGregor side of the deal and that <laughs> he has yet to finish the Floyd side of the deal Kind of a weird uh, situation because this is something that's never really been done before. Um, I guess you can kind of say it's been done before when James Tony left his boxing realm and, and made his way against Randy Couture in a really just a, a fight that probably should have never been put on. But I guess what I want to get to first is I guess this makes Conor McGregor the B-side if his deal is done first, right? Yeah, he, he is absolutely the B-side. And when this news came out, um, the guys at MMA Fighting taped an episode of, of their show, The MMA Beat, last week and talked about this, of course. And, and Luke Thomas sort of made the point of saying, like, getting the Connor side done is like 10% of the problem, like 10% of completion. If you're building a puzzle, you've got 10% of it done because Connor and the UFC coming to an agreement is Connor agreeing with his promoter. Like, yeah, okay, we've figured out how much we're going to pay you, how much we're going to get, how much we're going to go after. Now they have to deal with one of the most notoriously fickle negotiators in combat sports. Like, they dragged, he dragged out the Pacquiao fight until it wasn't competitive. And so if you think Floyd Mayweather is just going to roll up to the table and take whatever offer the UFC says and is going to get pressured by Conor going on social media and being like, sign your side of the deal, Floyd, you got another thing coming. This could still be, as Kevin Ioli of Yahoo Sports said last week, this could still be a long ways away from happening. Yeah, that's kind of the vibe I got when he said, you know, like it was some sort of announcement. 
you know, that, yeah. he, that he completed the Connor side. Shaq's first question, you know, to his credit was, oh, so the fight's going to happen. He's like, no, I'm not saying the fight is not, it's not happening. <laughs> and I just thought it was a weird dynamic. I mean, what what do you do in a situation like this? I mean, I don't feel bad for Dana White or the UFC in any stretch of the imagination. They've They've been highly successful and they deserve it. They worked hard. But what do you do if you're Dana White? You got a situation, obviously, in Conor McGregor, who has a ton of leverage, per- leverage, perhaps more leverage than any athlete the UFC roster has ever had. And he can almost sit out and not fight, right, until he yep. takes a fight with Floyd. Like, what do you do if you're Dana White? You do exactly what they have done this year, and that's work your asses off to make this fight happen because this is what he wants to do. And to me, this is the only way you have a shot of getting him back in the octagon. If you get this fight done, you let him go and chase this and go and get this money. Because I I honestly think as much as I feel like this is still going to be a very challenging negotiation for the two sides, I think this happens. I, I don't see any reason why Floyd Mayweather, who we all know really likes money, leaves that kind of money on the table. Not that I think Connor is suddenly going to morph into being a tremendous world-class boxer the longer this goes. But Floyd's getting up there in age. Connor gets a little more time to prepare. I don't think you want to do that. I think you want to do this as quick as you can. So I think it's going to happen. But I think the UFC just had to do it this way and just get on board with Connor, get behind him. Um, they recognize what's happened in their organization this year. They see those buy rates for the first four pay-per-view events of the year that aren't going to come back. Like, if these first four break a million pay-per-view buys combined, I'd be surprised. And that's a sad statement of things, given that we had five events last year that broke a million, three of those headlined by Conor McGregor. So right now, as you said, he's the guy with all the leverage. You go out and do this. You get him what he wants. You make that happen so that then it's, it's still a chance that he doesn't come back, but you've given yourself a better chance to get him back in the octagon. I think another dangerous, and you you make great points, but another, like a huge dangerous aspect of this is that because Conor McGregor is such a huge asset, it's going to become more and more costly for him to just put up one fight. So I think what what will happen is, is similar to what, what happens in boxing when Floyd Mayweather got as big as he got, was that you only saw him fight in the boxing ring like twice a year. And that's kind of my, one of my biggest fears. That Conor McGregor, a guy just even on his personality, personality alone, I want, I want to see him fight in the cage. So fans right. certainly want to see him fight in the cage. I just don't want it to get into a pattern where we're not going to be able to expect Conor McGregor inside a cage or in a ring more than twice a year. Yeah, I, I sort of just want to know one way or the other. Like, if Connor's coming back, great. I want to know what is not what his schedule is going to be, but I want him to say, I'm all in, I'm going to come back more than once a year, as you're saying, because otherwise we just end up sitting around talking about will he or won't he all year and ignoring whatever's going on in the sport because he is the biggest star, but at some point, the UFC and fans and media and everybody will have to move on from this guy, whether he comes back or whether he's, as you're saying, doing sort of the one fight a year or two fights a year like Floyd is, where he's just picking his date, 
picking his opponent and saying, this is when I'm going to defend one of my belts. And so I think they get this one done and then we'll see what they get this fight with Floyd done. And then we'll see what the outcome of the fight to me is going to have a lot of impact on what happens next. And it just oh. reminds me of boxing and, and it, I come off sounding like I'm not a boxing fan. I'm, I'm a huge boxing fan, but there's certainly things about their structure that I don't like that I think they could address. And those are one of those really scary things. And it, it really, it just, I hate to harp on it, but it just becomes the, it, it seems like it's growing into a situation where it's very top heavy and you've got one or two stars and a bunch of other fighters fighting for a little piece of a pie that they really don't have readily available to them. And so, uh, it's just kind of a scary situation. One last thing with you, and we're speaking to Spencer Kite here on the Producer Nick Podcast. Follow Spencer Kite at Spencer Kite at Spencer K-Y-T-E. He writes for The Province. He writes for UFC.com. Jose Aldo gets back in the ring, not with Conor McGregor, this time against a very game uh, opponent in Max Holloway. I kind of wanted to see Max Holloway fight Conor McGregor just because I saw them fight before but i guess this is a fight that makes sense uh, as well uh what did what did you what is your initial think uh thought of jose aldo after all he's been through the drama he's been through with the ufc and now he's fighting a game opponent in max holloway like how is he going to react against a, an opponent like max i don't know man like as soon as this one got announced as soon as this became official and, and max won that fight in toronto last december I started counting down the days because this to me is one of the best fights they can make. The UFC can make at this time. Um, Max just looked so good. But then you also have the like, Oh, right. Jose Aldo has lost once and made Frankie Edgar. Like in that second fight with Frankie Edgar last summer at 200, he, he washed Frankie Edgar and Frankie Edgar, as we just saw a couple weeks ago, went out and washed one of the best up and coming prospects in the division couple months before that, did pretty well against Jeremy Stevens while dealing with a bum knee and a bad back. So it, it feels like one of those fights where you think, all right, this is the moment that we finally see kind of Jose Aldo come back to the group a little bit. And, and I think maybe Max is on that level, but it's hard to say because Jose Aldo's only lost once in the last decade. And that's to Connor, obviously. And it was, you know, I think if you run that fight back, I'm, I'm with you. I would love to see that fight again. I think if you run that one back, it plays out differently than 13 seconds. But it's hard for me to pick against Jose Aldo. And I say that as somebody that has been covering Max Holloway's rise from the jump in the UFC. Um, talked to him a lot. Been at a bunch of his fights live. And think the world of this kid in terms of talent. But it's, it's always hard to pick against. Jose Aldo, especially knowing that he still has that, I want to go and go and hunt Connor down vibe going for him. So I just know it's going to be an absolute crackerjack of a fight in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm certainly looking forward to it, man. There you have it. Spencer Kite of the province of UFC.com. Follow him on Twitter at Spencer Kite. Anything you want to promote coming up on either UFC.com or the province, any particular piece or article that you got going on? Just doing some stuff covering the event uh, coming up on Sunday in Sweden. Spoke with Misha Serkinov, who is a Canadian light heavyweight. Uh, he is in the co-main event. We'll have that piece, as I mentioned uh, to you, off air with Arjen Bueller, new signee for the UFC. A heavyweight, maybe he drops down to light heavyweight. The first 
South Asian fighter signed to the UFC. And then just the usual goods on UFC.com, man, on the rise, covering the up-and-comers to watch. This week, a couple pieces with the headliners, Alex Gustafson and Glover Teixeira, and then the usual nonsense on Twitter. There you have it, Spencer Kite, at Spencer Kite on Twitter. Thank you so much for the time, man. Greatly appreciated. Always a pleasure, dude. It's the Producer Nick Podcast, brought to you by AvatarDesk.com.